March 3rd, 2022. So you say you want to learn more about the history of St. Louis Radio. Two words, John Hewlett, as in today's conversation. Sit down with you, man. Talk Casey. Stick around. You'll be glad you did. If you are new here, my name is David Oliver, and this is my playground, OT with Oliver. You know, when I think of how to get more people interested in baseball again, I always think, walk out. They'll do the trick. Missouri is one step closer to legalizing sports gambling. Projected revenue, about $100 million per year. Projected people falling addictive to gambling three times more than today. Numbers on that actually vary. They say 500 I say more. It's fish fry season. Where are you going? Three things you should if you have not. On Showtime, saw the first episode of Super Pumped, The Battle for Uber, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Uma Thurman, Elizabeth Shue. It's got my interest. I'll catch the next episode. Secondly, on YouTube, Casey History, 1967 to 84, dropped eight years ago. It's a 20-minute walk down memory lane. Love about Birch stuff. Here's where I think our sponsor, Vital, changing the world one customized water bottle at a time. As good, if not better, than anything Yeti does. And the proceeds, they go to charity. You get the detachable bottoms for storage, different colors. I prefer the straw lids. Code Oliver saves you 10%. Tell them, tell those who are vital in your life, V-I-D-L-Life, V-I-D-L-Life dot com. If you like this conversation with John, go check out previous episodes with uh, JC, Smash, Randy Rayleigh, Frank Opinion, and others. So, John Hewlett, payola. What was that like? Bands Casey Broke. JC, boobies for t-shirts, what do you say to the son whose father dies in your arms? He's actually got World Series rings. Is there anything like hitting a hole in one? I wouldn't know, but here's what I do know. John Hewlett is one of a kind. Welcome to the Overtime family, John Hewlett. Let's go to Overtime. Overtime with Oliver, with my dad. Tell your friends. One, two, hello, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two. Almost like you've done this before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been a long time. I feel a little pressure. With podcasts, you can't do anything which is of public consumption. So I can't play a song. Right. But if I could, what would be your walk-up song? Oh, a walk-up song? Oh, my gosh. Uh, well, it would probably be uh, Close to the Edge. By yes, which would be a long, boring, <laughs> nature, birds chirping sound effect that uh, wouldn't go over very well. Uh, I've always been a prog rock fan. You know, yes was always one of my favorite bands, and Pink Floyd back in the day. And um, I mean, they still are. But, right. You know, so back then, you know, when it was all new, and you were experiencing it for the first time, and the art form was young. And the the musicians were figuring it out, and it was a it was a blank canvas, you know, for the artists. And and then you as a listener, we were we were affected by it, you know. I mean, it really was either motivating or uh, uh, inspirational or uh, put you in a certain mood, you know. And people think, oh, because I was into all that early prog rock stuff that I was probably smoking dope and getting high and enjoying it that way. And I never did. You know, it was not me. Never? No, no, I was not one of those. Mark Close and I are the two straightest dudes in the radio (laughs) business. Uh, Yeah, neither one of us were really um, into that scene. So maybe it's kind of odd that I was into it, but but, uh, I I just, you know, it's it's always been my thing. Here's what I'm excited about talking about. We've had other guys on from Casey. But they had pit stops. Nobody was there from the beginning to current times. Mm-hmm. And depending upon who you talk to, Casey's like one of the 10 most important FM radio stations in the country. Yeah. By what was accomplished in little St. Louis, Missouri. Yeah. And you were in the middle of all that. Mm-hmm. So take as long as you want as I ask you these mundane questions. But did you get a sense of it? Did you understand what was going on? Mm-hmm. Did you realize that you were as big in Crestwood in that little shack as anybody else in the country? It's a good question, David, because it uh, it is <clears throat> it is something that I have thought about over the years a lot. And uh, 
Um, in some ways, no. In some ways, we were just living our lives and having a good time and not really fully aware of the impact we were having necessarily on music and on our city with, with uh, musical tastes, uh, uh, breaking artists, um, helping start radio careers, because a lot of people passed through Casey that went on and did other things. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, so, uh, a lot of it I'd have to say no, but at the same time, we knew we were at a special place. Mm-hmm. I knew I was at a special place, because Casey wasn't my first job. I started at KEZK in 1974, uh, went to KIRL, which was a top 40 station for a little while in, in the s- summer of 75, then went to Jeff City and worked at a AM-FM combination there, Click and KJF, until the um, spring of 76. I sold for Click. Oh, yeah. I was a general manager over a general sales manager over at Click. I'll be darned. Yeah. In Jefferson City? In Jefferson City. And, and while we're on the subject, there are no two towns closer and more different than Columbia and Jefferson City. Well, that's true. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I don't know if it's the bridge. I don't know if it's the capital. Yeah, yeah but it's all of that. So yeah. J- Jefferson City, I was married, three kids, great place to live. Mm-hmm. Single, would have killed myself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nothing happening much in Jeff City for sure. And so, uh, yeah, either it was either called Click or some, my friends like to call it K-Lick, you know, <laughs> just to rub it in, you know. Oh, yeah, Because there was Click, there was KJMO, which was kind of like KGMO. That, that was in uh, in Cape Girardeau, right? That's it, it was or, part or of was the cluster it? at the time that I was there. Oh, and then it? Columbia had KFRU was their version of KFRU, Click. Okay, in the AM. Yeah, yeah. And again, yeah. You're, you're 20 minutes apart. One totally progressive, left wing. Yeah, and then the exact opposite. Yeah, on the other side of the bridge. Yeah. So, yeah, so I was, uh, so, and then in the spring of 76, uh, May of 76, I ended up at Casey. So, so, um, yeah, uh, as soon as I got there, not long after I got there, because initially I wasn't that crazy about getting the job because I was more uh, impacted by Jack Buck. You know, I wanted to be a you sports broadcaster. You turned it down three times. I did, yeah. I turned it down quite a few times. And I even blamed it on my mother. One of the times says, oh, she doesn't want me to work for a, a, a a station that has so such a drug image, you know. <laughs> but at the same time, I wanted to get back home. You know, I had a girlfriend here, and I loved playing softball with my buddies, and I missed that. I said, ah, I'll take it and then go from there. Whatever happens, happens, you know. So I ended up taking it. And not long after I was there, I started to realize, wow, this isn't just a, a radio station that's just playing music. This is a radio station that has a, lo- a, a listenership loyalty that is off the charts, and they loved uh, the music, and they wanted to know more about the music. It was our job to get into the music just as much as they were, even more so, so we could help educate them. And I got into the music. I got into the listeners. I got into the whole scene, and, and uh, I just fell in love with it. And I said to myself, I remember saying to myself, I'm going to ride this thing as long as I can ride it. I'm still riding it. 45 plus, man. Yeah, I know. And for those who don't know, explain what AOR is album oriented rock right. was, uh, you had your top 40 stations which were primarily on am radio and then of course eventually they got fm top 40 stations but uh in the early stages uh, it was just free form rock radio and we played cuts right off the albums any cut we wanted we didn't we didn't play what the record company came and told us that here's the single there you go play it it's the hit you know we'd go oh really that's it well we're gonna find you know something else if we think it's better and that often happened and that's how we ended up developing what are called Casey Classics, you know, B and C cuts off albums that I still play today on my Casey Classics show on Sunday mornings from 8 until noon. You know, they're, they're specific, in most cases, not all cases, but in a lot of cases, songs that are specifically uh, Casey DJ popularized tunes. I can't remember the song. I know Sammy Hagar is a big St. Louis guy. And there's, there's one song... I'm not going to put you on the spot, but if you remember, that's great. Where St. Louis is like the only city that's ever played this song, and we love it. Do you have any idea? Do you remember? Uh, what that song well, is? I mean, Red maybe. Uh, it, it's it's he's got a lot of them that right. are just mainly just Casey. Because Casey songs. broke Hagar, Casey broke Ario Speedwagon. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's a, Kenny Loggins. I think I heard you interviewing Kenny Loggins one time. I've interviewed him many times, and he yeah. was talking about how. Yeah, you know, St. Louis still wants to hear "Celebrate Me Home." 
and he never plays it anywhere else but in St. Louis. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, it's a uh, yeah, um yeah, I mean Journey, you know, Journey, they were in San Francisco and we had a sister station in San Francisco when when Century Broadcasting owned Casey. We were in St. Louis, Detroit, um Los Angeles and San Francisco. And Journey was from San Francisco and um Century Broadcasting starting with really Casey uh, started, started playing Journey. And those guys would come from San Francisco all the way to St. Louis sometimes just to do a show in St. Louis. And it was Shelley Grafman, who was the uh, general manager of Casey at the time. He was the guy that was helping break bands like that. And, you know, and, and he was getting, uh, you know, push from record companies. Hey, here's a band uh, that's you know, doing well uh, out of this particular area. You want to help them? Heart is another, song, another uh, group that Casey helped um, break in the Midwest and, and, and those other stations in Detroit, Los Angeles, and San Francisco. So we not only had Casey being what it was, this um, freeform radio station, but we had also some sister stations in key markets that also helped Casey become even more powerful because, mm. you know, even though, you know, the general manager, Shelly Graffman, was based here, those stations would follow what Casey would do. And so, you know, it became a, a really nice situation for artists and for, for, for the radio station. And, was know. payola at the time a real thing? Um, <laughs> that's a touchy subject. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was, um, well, payola was, it happened in the 50s and the 60s. You know, Dick Clark was involved in some of that and some other big name 50s DJs, 50s and 60s DJs, and uh, Congress stepped in and, you know, they put some, laid down some rules with the FCC. And after that happened, the payola kind of came in, in, well, I shouldn't say kind of, uh, well, yeah, it kind of came in the form of uh, support for the record. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, you want to, will you play this record for us? Okay. Well, you're going to advertise on the station for that record? Mm hmm station for to play play that record all right send us the the buy and we'll make the we'll make the commercial and there you go so it was legal it was all on the log but in sense you can say that's the way payola used to work it was under the table now it's on top of the table but still the same thing pay for play when you take the girl out to dinner (laughs) you're not expecting anything at the end but doesn't hurt if take yeah. it to a nicer place. Right. You know, so. And uh, really where the payola thing got weird was it, it wasn't just about advertising on the station. It was in the DJ's pockets and it was right. drugs and right. such. And, and they would, the record companies would come to the individual DJs too and, you know, uh, take them to lunch and, and do those type things. And um, I never did. I never took cash money from anybody to play a record. I was music director for a while. But I know some guys who did, you know. So what's a band that you really like that you wish more people liked as much as you like? Well, you know, St. Louis has kind of turned funny on bands like U2, which I love a lot. Sure. Uh, and even Bruce Springsteen, you know, who I think is a tremendous artist, you know. Um, I don't know if it's the conservative nature of our community here, but, uh, and, you know, Bono has uh, spoken out politically and, and Bruce has and I think uh, I think that's kind of hurt some of those artists and um, you know I don't know I just uh, in terms of that uh, way uh, you know I think I think those are two bands that come to, to mind as far as just pure talent uh, and ability uh, I mean a band like the Atlanta Rhythm Section I don't know if you remember mm, ARS sure, yeah I mean those guys are terrific musicians and they had their their pop hits you know that imaginary lover and uh (laughs) so into you but man their catalog outside of those they got a bunch of casey classics rocking songs with great musicianship you know that well and elo is one of those bands where if you just off the top hear a couple songs you're like that's a little weird but if you listen to the catalog you're like oh it's good songwriting yeah absolutely experimented they did some things Mm -hmm. yeah Steely Dan too is another one of them. That I've I, never seen them live. Have you seen them live? I've seen I've seen numerous times. I yeah. heard their 
even better live, like just substantially fantastic. better. Yeah, everything about them is high quality musicianship, high quality standards, tight on live shows. I mean, they're they're just tremendous. You know, haven't seen Steely Dan and haven't seen Van Morrison. Those are kind of the two that if they come back through town, yeah, I'll find a way to go. Yeah, well, you know, Steely Dan, Walter Becker died about five years ago, so it's just Donald Fagan. Uh, with his his band of uh, musicians that he brings with him, but he's the lead singer. So you know, when you say Steely Dan, you can still it's still Steely Dan, even though Walter Becker's passed away. Because Walter was mainly you know the rhythm guitar player, and and they would hire out you know, a lot of great musicians. You know, the, the guitarists, because a lot of guitar solos and a lot of St- Steely Dan music are just knocked down off the charts. Incredible. You and they know? got like a Grateful Dead thing where they've got the one guy playing on the low bar. And then the other guy playing on the high bar, when they play them together, it sounds like there's like five people playing at the same time. Yeah, their production was uh, yeah, very good, too. I had this conversation with Randy Rayleigh. Unfair question. Last great American rock and roll band. Hmm. Last great American. I got it wrong, and he got it right. I said Black Crows. He said uh, Foo Fighters. Well, yeah, I would say Foo Fighters right now. Yeah, I mean, they, they've they've definitely... Um, found a way to get into um, high-energy classic rock radio, even though they're not a classic rock band. You ever met him, interviewed him? No, I have not. No. He just seems like the nicest guy and the coolest guy and through Nirvana and, and finding his way. Whenever I... He actually wrote a book that I haven't read. Yeah. And my wife says it's pretty good. But he's just... Well, his, his mother wrote a book. His mother wrote a book. Yes, her mother wrote a book about uh, you know raising him Maybe that's what you're talking about. I don't think I know that he's written a book yet. Has he? <clears throat> yeah, drawing a blank. I yeah. know that when I've seen him in small interviews and in other people's documentaries or things about rock and roll, he just loves what he does. Yeah, he's a student of the art. He's does it st- in his basement. Doesn't care if yeah. he's in front of eighty thousand people. Or and then have you seen the YouTube clips where he pulls the kids out of this thing? Yeah, yeah. Isn't that great? Yeah, he's great. He's absolutely great. He's he's done a tremendous job, not not only with the band, and remember he was in Nirvana too. So right. you know, here's a guy who's you know, in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame already, and Foo Fighters will go into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame eventually someday too. Have you I'm been sure. to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? I was there when it first opened in 1995. I was there for uh, we did original uh, opening broadcast, and I uh, interviewed uh, James Brown, uh, Lou Reed. Um, chased Yoko Ono down. Uh, she was in a, in a limousine. I chased her down and got a short interview through the through the car window, the back seat. She was sitting in the back seat. So that was a big... I went to the, con- the benefit concert. Could you decipher what she was saying? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I wish I could find those tapes. They're, they're probably somewhere in my basement because I got a ton of poorly marked tapes. I, I, I was an idiot. I just, oh, let me just throw it in the... You know, that, put that in the bin, you know. But I never marked them really well. You know, or if I did mark them, I just mark day and month, not year. You know, that's what grandchildren are for. Well, I'll tell you, I mean, the reel to reels are a little easier because they do have a reel to reel machine and we have them at the station. Do you have an e track? We can, uh, (laughs) yeah, no, not anymore, not anymore, but I got some at home. Uh, But the cassettes, they're the bitch, you know, uh, because it's uh, some of the tapes we recorded on were 90, 90 minute cassettes 45 minutes on each side and the tape machines these days these days for whatever reason they lose they can't pull them at the same power anymore that i have anyway right. you know and, and they just start talking real slow like this at the end you well know? i remember when they mess up you had to put the pencil in well yeah to sure <laughs> yeah to, to get it queued up uh freebird yeah. would last 18 minutes <laughs> i'd yeah. messed it up so many times yeah yeah but they but the but their quality of them are really good I couldn't, I can't believe it. I mean, some of these cassettes I got are 35 years old and they're sitting in the basement, you know, and there's, well, my basement's dry, thank goodness, but, you know, it's not damp, but, uh, and they sound fantastic. They sound better than uh, uh, some of the uh, hard drive stuff, you know? It's amazing. I do, I don't have a cassette player anymore. Mm-hmm. Here's a funny story. Uh, I got to do this quick. My son is now 21. He has a CD converter, which is a cassette that goes into the car attached to the CD so that he can listen to his CDs or his MP or whatever he's listening to. Mm-hmm. He didn't know how to put the cassette in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He didn't put it in left, right. Yeah. He put it in north, south. <laughs> it got stuck. Yeah. 
Well, some of the the boom boxes that I, that I had over the years, the ones where you put the tape in upside down, you know, and just the tape would be the tape, the right, tape right, would right. be yeah, showing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and then you, and you couldn't figure out where you're going. Fast forward, rewind. Uh, the tape's upside down. So which way do I need to go to go fast forward? I hate those. And if you wanted to be an expert on the mixed tape for the special one in your life, you yeah. had to know yeah. how to maneuver oh, yeah, through all yeah, that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Air supply didn't go well after Cheap Trick. He, <laughs> he needed to, to blend the, the sounds. All right. Um, I am not knowledgeable on the following, but I would love for you to tell me some good stories if you've got them. The Crestwood Building mm-hmm. and how it sat out and people, fans could come 24-7 and, and interact with the right. DJs. And the DJs welcomed it. Mm-hmm. First of all, it couldn't happen now. Second of all, what was that like? And, and take as long as you want. Well, it was part of the party, man. It was part of the, the fun, you know. Um, we would, even when we weren't on the air, we'd still go to, we'd still go to the station and hang out because it was... It was fun. You never knew who was going to show up, you know, what, what musical artist would end up coming in for an interview and, you know, who you'd get to meet and, and, uh, and, and the listeners would come by and, and they'd be fun and, and the pretty girls and, uh, um, uh, you know, just the whole scene was a blast. And so, yeah, the, the window was part of it, you know, and no matter what time you were on, there were probably listeners outside the window, you know, just hanging out, talking to each other and, They'd knock on the window and make a request or, or want to buy uh, concert tickets. We'd sell concert tickets through that window. The DJ on the air would sell concert tickets or would sell And caps. not take any money for themselves. No, no. I mean, I, may, maybe some did. I don't know. I, I mean, I, but the my, books had to balance. You know, they, right. they, they gave us so many shirts and so many stuff and uh, caps and tickets and, and they had to match the money with the... How many boobies for shirts did you see? A lot of them. The window was an important part of uh, history. And, then, you know, there were some negative aspects to it, too. There were times you'd have the window open, and we caught people trying to steal albums because the album rack came up right up against the, up right up to the window. Oh, okay. So they'd reach in there, and, like Led Zeppelin was always missing, you know. We'd always, <laughs> have to always re- Led restock Zeppelin, the Led Zeppelin one, catalog. Two, four. Yeah. <laughs> where's, where's three? Yeah, because that's one that they could reach easily. i got to play you know? Cashmere. Where's three? <laughs> yeah, and... Um, uh, yeah, as a matter of well, I, I mean, I met my first wife at the window, you know, and so. Keep going on that one. <laughs> well, we we uh, ended up getting married and. Yeah. She loved your voice. Oh, I don't know. I, uh, no, she was just a friend of a friend and came up and that's that started the association there. Yeah. You're born and raised in St. Louis. Yes. Your yeah. grandparents immigrated over from Lebanon, correct? My grandfather did. Grandfather. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is there a big. Lebanese contingency in St. Louis? Yeah, I mean, there, there, there is, there was. Right. Um, he came over uh, in 1918. Uh, he was born in 1900, so he was a teenager when he came the first time. Then he went back and then came back for good and married my grandmother uh, here in St. Louis. But he emigrated through New York, through Ellis Island, and uh, um, learned English once, once, once he got here, uh, but still was able to speak you know, obviously fluent uh, uh, Arabic, and uh, and read it as well. And when we were kids, uh, all the Lebanese people in the area would come over to my to our to our house, and my grandfather would read their letters from the old country, you know, to them. And and we'd sit there. My brother and I would sit there, and we'd watch their faces as my grandfather was reading to them, you know. And they'd go, "Oh, hmm, uh, and <laughs> oh, uh, and we'd get a kick out of them watching their their expressions, you know, based on what my grandfather was was reading to them. And where but, you grew up, it was that failed experiment of the high-rise affordable housing, correct? Yeah, the, the uh, Darst Webby housing projects were a matter of maybe three blocks east of where we lived. I lived on, we grew up on 18th Street, 18th and uh, Park, pretty much. And Not the safest environment. No, it, it wasn't back then. Um, yeah, we saw you know quite a bit of tragedy along the way growing up there. Uh, um, yeah. You know, the, the 60s and the 70s, uh, there was racial strife in the area, in our country. And, um, yeah, there was numerous instances of, um, you know, just racial uh, animosity. And we were in the middle of it. You and know? it was based on not being white Caucasian American. Uh, it was It was just 
that's the other side uh, right. that was, you know. Um, yeah, and so, you know, we uh, we survived through through all of that. Uh, my brother and I, I got a brother who's a, a year and a half, uh, 13 months older than I, and our friends. And, um, yeah, uh, I mean, I saw some terrible things happen as a young man down there that uh, have stuck with me over the years. But uh, I got one story for you about... Uh, I was driving down Lafayette Boulevard right there at Lafayette, you know where Lafayette Park is by any chance mm-hmm, on Lafayette sure, Avenue? Yeah. yeah. And I was heading west, and as I was driving by a, a auto parts store, this was 4th of July time, you know, summertime. I had the windows down. My dad's car didn't have air conditioning. And I, as I'm driving by, I hear bang, bang, bang. And I look over to my left, and there's three guys backing out of the auto parts store doorway, shooting into the doorway with the owner coming out after them and then he collapsed in the doorway and you know i saw the whole thing and then they took off running south and so i turned the car around i thought oh my gosh we knew the guy's name was jerry and so um i get out of the car and i go up there and i he's dying you know right there in front of me and there were no cell phones back then obviously so i ran across the street and went to one of the town housing Oh, well, townhouses, I guess you call them. Knocked on the door, rooming house. Because all those old classic buildings in Lafayette Square, now they're just single residences. They were individual uh, individual people living in individual rooms in those buildings. So I knocked on the door and I told them, call the police that, um, you know, somebody had been shot out here. And I waited around. I don't remember if I had, had ended up ever talking to the police because I had to get somewhere. And I knew there was nothing I could do, nothing I could tell them. I couldn't identify anybody. They were, they were coming out backwards, you know. And so um, let's fast forward to about two years ago. And I'm on the radio, and I'm, and I'm telling this story. I told it once before. Went home, got a phone call. And it was a friend of mine who's the sales manager at Ackerman Toyota. I said, John, did you tell a story about a guy who got shot down in your neighborhood uh, 40 years ago? I said, yeah, I did. He goes, well, I got his son with me right here. Would you please talk to him? He, he, he wants to talk to you about it because they never, his family never had any idea of what happened. And I said, sure, I'll, I'll talk to him. And I told him what I saw. And he said, I can't believe that I've been listening to you for 40 plus years on the radio. And you're the only person that saw my father get killed. Crazy. Yeah. I really didn't know what to say. It touched me. And I imagine, hopefully, in a much less serious manner, that's what you've been able to do for the last 45 years. You've been able, dude, touch my life. I mean, I I got some cool stories about where I was and John was on the radio and meeting you at Bush Stadium. And When does it hit you that what you're doing is not only fun for you, but fun for others. You got the con- you got the request lines. I mean, the phone lines th- that are open, and so you can get some immediate feedback uh, that way. But radio's not. It's not like you know playing a live show in front of a bunch of uh, people. You know, in a, a live audience, you you don't really know. You know, you kind of do it and kind of have an idea of what might be uh, of interest to your audience, and hope that it hits that day. And just keep doing it day after day, and uh, hopefully you build some sort of rapport with the people over time, and they end up trusting you and, and, and uh, um, having some sort of a connection with you, and that's the best you can do, you know? So I'm 53, right? Middle 80s. When's JC show up? 84. 84. Yeah. People don't understand this was unprecedented. That's right. In regards to what happened. Do you remember uh, Pat Crocker? Sure. So yeah. Pat's a buddy of mine. Yeah. Pat said it was like printing money. You guys came on within two books. It was yeah. number one across the board. And not only number one, but with a buzz and with a I want to be a part of that kind of attitude. Yeah. What was that like for you? Because you were there. I was there. And then he shows up. And in my book, you're cool enough to exist you're cool enough to be a part as opposed to getting in his way and made his show better 
because you're cool. Well, thank you. I appreciate you saying that. I, he came and just flat out changed everything we were doing in radio in St. Louis. He didn't just change Casey, you know. He changed KMOX. And he went after the top dogs. He went after, he was not, he was not uh, interested in um, challenging radio stations that were either equal to us in the ratings or below us. He says, we're not going to make a name for ourselves unless we go after the kingpins. And that's why I went after KMOX and Bob Hyland and, and uh, Jack Carney. And, and, uh, and he, was, he was bold. He was courageous. Uh, he was funny. And that was the key. And you that, were secure enough. You can be controversial, enough, but you better be funny too. Well, and you were secure enough that that show's not as good without you. And and you got to maybe be a radio guy, maybe understand the business, but he can't be that out there if you're not stable and also funny and also making sure the bumps in the road don't stop the the the, the train. Yeah. We're, we're going to keep going. Well, I mean, that's what management told me when they were bringing him in. They told me what he was like, and they told me what my role was, and that my role was to um, help um, uh, pave the way to, to have our listeners uh, accept him because it was going to be a dramatic change to what they were used to at the radio station. The hardcores were probably not going to like him right out of the box, and they wanted me to help, uh, you know, soothe that that situation by by – just doing what I do and what I had been doing since 1976. This was 84, so I'd been there eight years at that time. And so, um, yeah, I knew, I knew what I had to do. I knew what my role was. And, and then I, I knew also that, uh, you know, uh, I wasn't as good as him, and I couldn't do what he does. And, and I respected the hell out of what he could do. And I was in there, and sometimes, in some cases, I was just as much a listener as a listener was, <laughs> you know. And I knew that was my role, to just to listen and let him go and let him do his thing. And then when he needed me, I, I would, you know, try to step up and do my part, you know. And I didn't always get it done. I mean, because I, I, I listen to tapes now myself from back in that time period. And I, I don't, I can't stand listening to myself, uh, especially from the past, you know. So, um, so yeah, we, and we were able to, uh, you know, do what we did. And, and uh, you know, there were some, so many funny instances that happened. My favorite was the thing that happened on the, uh, on the Admiral at the VP fair, which was just, <laughs> I still laugh. I, I don't when remember I think this about one. it. Well, the day before, and his memory is so, so much better than you mine. You want to talk about a guy who has chronicled everything oh, he's ever done. Oh my God. Yes. I mean, so he's been on the show before, by the way, he says, hi, we talked about that. I te- yeah, texted yeah. him last night. I said, you know, got a couple of you man stories. And at the end of the text, it was, I love that guy. Yeah, I'd same here, same, same. So same he's thing. got everything chronicled. Yeah. It, uh, today is February twenty fourth. If you asked him what he has done on the twenty fourth of February, he's got a list of six or seven things who yeah. he interviewed and what he sure. talked about. Oh, so yeah. he doesn't have things in a bin. He's got some stuff to <laughs> talk to me about the admiral. What's the story? So, well, the day before, I think it was. Yeah, it was the day before. Uh, we had. Um, oh, see, I, my memory's not so good. Who was the uh, the actor in uh, in Airplane? The young guy, Robert Hayes. Robert Hayes. Okay. He was in with us that morning, uh, the <laughs> morning before, and we were having a good time talking to him. We were telling him what we were going to do the next day, which was to raid Arnie Warren's show. He was Arnie Warren was Jack Carney's replacement after Jack Carney died, mm-hmm. and Arnie wasn't getting it done really on Camel X, and he he wasn't funny, and you know he was just a standard old radio broadcaster that Corcoran just mercilessly of course. attacked him <laughs> left and right. So, and so we were, we were letting Robert Hayes in on, on the joke about, you know, Arnie, ha- Arnie Warren and what we were going to do the next day on the, on the Admiral. So um, uh, we had a great time with Robert Hayes. It's amazing. Uh, so anyway, um, the next morning we're, we're down there doing a broadcast from the VP fair and we're going to raid Arnie's show on the Admiral. My, me, DJ, Don Johnson, mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, and, and JC. And we start to enter the, the boat there, and they were asking for our IDs. And, and we, you know, it was funny how we ended up getting around them. And then we, uh, we walk into the, into the uh, room where they're, they're uh, broadcasting, and they're just talking in a big round table. There's like seven or eight people sitting around there talking. And there's Robert Hayes sitting there being interviewed by by uh, 
uh, Arnie Warren. And we could hear him as we're getting closer talking and oh, 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 just kind of, you know, trying to yuck it up. And, <laughs> no, Arnie wasn't funny. And we come around the corner into that room and Robert Hayes, he sees us. And he just starts laughing. I mean, uncontrollably laughing, tears coming down his eyes because he knows what's coming. You know? <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> One thing led to another. Corcoran tried to talk to Arnie Warren. Arnie Warren told him to get out of here and, and uh, security came and ran us off. But, oh, my God, it was so funny. So funny. Corcoran probably could tell the story better than me because his memory is so much better. But that's kind of the gist of it, you know. Well, Corcoran, so I, I <laughs> texted him, told me you were going to be on, and uh, he spoke of the last time maybe that you guys have been together. It was at a ball game, and he was in the booth with you. Yeah, he came in. He sat in in the in the room with and me for a while. You guys just had a ball. Yeah, you picked up where you left off. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, we've 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 talked many times since uh, prior to that too. I mean. Uh, there was a short period of time when, you know, when he left and uh, I had to compete against him, you know, and I, I. Is the following story true that you were actually planning on going? Yeah, I had my things. I had my box, uh, all my stuff in a box and I was getting ready to walk out the door at uh, Casey. And I told him and he was at uh, KSD with uh, Merrill Hansen and, and they had made an, uh, uh, an offer. And I decided, you know what, I think I'm going to go. And so I packed up my stuff, and I was walking out, and Rick Bayless and John Beck, I had walked past John Beck's office to, to leave. And they knew something was going on. And so as I started to walk out, they stopped me. They said, come on in, and let's talk. And I told them that I had uh, decided that I was going to leave. And they made a better offer, and, uh, and, and just it was, it was very generous. And I had all this history with the radio station already. And uh, I ended up just not going over to KSD. And I agreed to stay at Casey. And, and uh, I feel kind of bad about that because I, I kind of left them hanging, you know. And I, I was afraid to call them, you know. I was just afraid to call them because I, I know it was going to hurt JC and, and uh, make him look bad in the eyes of his employers there. And we got over it. You know, we we patched up after a while, but it took a while because then I had to compete against him right. with some guys that they brought in from Atlanta, Georgia, uh, Mark McCain, Steve Mitchell, and Rob Buttery. And the one guy lasted six months, Mark McCain. Another guy lasted a year, and then uh, Rob Buttery ended up staying a couple years. He's the guy that I ended up... Uh, Think, I think had the most uh, talent of the group, and he was fun and funny. We had we had a good time together, but um, yeah, I mean, it was. I knew that we weren't competing well. These guys were not uh, what it would take to, to to beat Corcoran. I mean, I just knew it, and and uh, you know, our audience, I could tell they knew it. You know, some people stuck around. The hardcore stuck around. People who didn't like JC, and there was there was that element, you know, that didn't like him. But um, uh, well, and music was, changed was, around that time. I mean, you, well, MS, MS Communications was trying, but who owned us by this time? Right. They were trying to change. They were trying to mainstream Casey because they wanted to, you know, sell more advertising time and and being uh, a station that was kind of on the fringe of of being uh, uh, accepted by the masses. You know, a, a hard rock station. They they wanted to they wanted us to be more mainstream and play more hit stuff so that was that's also what was happening you know and yet proving once again everything comes full circle Casey today is extremely popular has had a resurgence for lack of a better word and are you getting a little deja vu I mean it's not the same no but it's better than it was five years ago yeah um well there's been so many different uh changes and ups and downs it's hard to really characterize one from the other to be honest with you i mean what what i'm experiencing now is just general joy of just being on a, on a rock station that still is relevant and still matters and still has a strong loyal audience and still uh, when you, you know, hit boston do you still smile well, you know what? I don't play. Uh, I don't. I'm not. Uh, I'm not behind the board anymore. You know, I, I'm. I'm still the. I'm still the second banana on a morning show, which is where I like being. You know, I like being in that slot where you know I can just. Uh, I can be a contributor, 
and uh, don't have to really uh, run the control board and you know play play the music. Uh, I, I play the music on the classic show. I pick all that myself. Sunday mornings. Yeah, Sunday mornings. But uh, yeah, the music during the other parts of the day are programmed, and we just we're just we don't really have any insight. So if that, you but. took ten jobs in St. Louis that everybody would most likely know of, one of them is going to be a DJ, Casey. The other is going to be anything to do with the Cardinals. And you've been the public address announcer at the Cardinals, again, for 30-plus freaking years. I've heard how you got that gig from Joel Myers. What I'm curious about is... I didn't get it from him. He left. Yes, yes. And then it was a typical St. Louis, totally unprepared, would you like to do this? And you're like, sure, I'll figure it out. (laughs) Well, actually what happened was... Um, in 1981 or 80, I think it was 81, um, they needed somebody to do news and sports in the morning. And it was one sports and newscast per morning. And I was already doing 10 to three. Uh, well, I can do that. And the reason why I wanted to do that, cause I could get a press pass to go to Cardinal games and blues games and Cardinal football games and whatever. And so I had the wherewithal to know that. And so I said, I'll do that. And they said, oh, okay, if you want to get up and do it, it's kind of stupid of you, but go ahead. Uh, Okay, so I did it, got my press passes, started going to Cardinal games. And in 82, the Cardinals go to the World Series. And they hadn't been in the World Series since 68. And the station management at that time says, well, uh, hey, uh, you know, if if you got the press pass, we'll we'll, uh, get an advertiser and we'll have you get sponsored and you can travel with the Cardinals to the playoffs in the World Series and do reports from Atlanta, which is where they went for the playoffs, Mm -hmm. and then to Milwaukee. I said, oh, that'd be awesome. So um, sure enough, uh, I get on an airplane, the media plane, to go to Atlanta, and who do I sit next to? Stan Musial and his wife. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, holy crap, this is really working out. And uh, then they went to the World Series, and I was there in Milwaukee, you know, and Willie, made, made, Willie uh, McGee made those great catches and, and saw it all. And, and uh, after the season was over, Joe Myers either quit or they decided not to bring him back. I don't remember. I don't know what happened there. And because I had made such good friends in that year of 82 with Marty Hendon and other people in the Cardinals organization, they said, hey, you want to do this? Uh, said, yeah. They said, well, well, make a tape for us because we're going to have to get some, you know, uh, people come some in. Some EOE and, stuff. Yeah, I don't even think that was in place at that time, but they just needed to have some options, you know. And so I did, and next thing I knew, I was Cardinal PA announcer. Did you but get if I a wouldn't ring? Have, did you get a ring? 82, I, wasn't, I didn't do the job. I wasn't there. Right. So, no, I did not get a ring in 82. But I have gotten rings. You uh-huh. sob. Yeah, <laughs> you got her, and you're not wearing it. I'd wear that thing to sleep. Well, uh, you know, I keep them in the safe deposit box at the bank. To be honest <laughs> with you, uh, yeah, uh, Cardinals have been generous in those in that regard, but uh, they're for my kids. To be honest with you, and you know, I don't want to wear them. I don't want to wear them out. I like them. I want to keep them in real good shape. You know, and plus, and I'm I'm totally thankful that I have them and and proud of them for sure. But at the same time, I don't remember throwing any pitches that year, you know, or, or catching any, hitting any home runs, you know. Uh, um, I think the players should wear them, but the rest of us who get them, eh, I mean, maybe, yeah, maybe we should. Some people do wear them. But I mean, to, when to me, Ozzy keep, walked to, me to the plate in 85, yeah. you were the one that inspired him <laughs> I don't think to so. go yard. <laughs> no. Yeah, no, I think so. No, not at all. <laughs> but... Uh, so everybody looks at it differently, but uh, for me, they're keepsakes, and they're for my family, for my children. I, I, I say Ernie Hayes. What do you say? Well, he's a legend in St. Louis. I mean, he was, uh, you know, the, the, he played the organ there for, what, 40 One of the years. nicest men I've ever met. He just oh, yeah, loved nice what he did, yeah. and he loved how he thought he was contributing, which he was, by the way. Yeah, But sure. he really got into, let's yeah. get these fans up. You know, we need to score two in the bottom. You know, let's. Let, yeah. let, I'm gonna. I'm gonna lead the charge. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah. I had a lot of good times with Ernie uh, in, in in that one little room. It was just he and I for a bunch of years together. You know, right. yeah, and yeah. He was. Uh, he was. A, he was a trip. He didn't. He wasn't uh, very um, happy about recorded music coming in to the stadium. You know, well, that what was, was funny. That if was I remember taken, this right, John, 
he was let go for a year, and the fans were so pissed off that they brought him back. Am I remembering that right? I don't think so. I don't remember that. Okay. I don't remember that. But uh, um, uh, as as they kept trying to, you know, cut back on his playing time, he, he didn't like that. You know, he would rebel against that. And it was the future that was coming that, uh, you know, it, it had to be done. Now, it didn't. I think he overestimated what they were trying. I think he thought they were trying to get rid of him, and they were never trying to get rid of him. There's an organist there to this day right. and has a very prominent role in, in what we do down there as entertaining fans, and it wasn't that at all. But he was just going from being the only, record, the only music down there to being cut back and, uh, for, for recorded music, and uh, he, 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 didn't, he fought against it for a while. But after you know, the last uh, handful of years, he accepted it and— he was in there doing his thing and having a good time. Baseball season. Right now, we're recording this in February. It looks like spring training's going to maybe happen probably at least two to three weeks late. When you're doing your job, are you trying to contribute to the baseball experience? Are you trying to make the people at the game more entertained or are you separate from that and just a part of it? I'm a part of it. Okay. Yeah. Um, my role is to, to announce players and uh, announce changes. I get my cues from the umpires on the field when to make my announcements and, and uh, what changes are coming up. And, uh, and I try to do, you know, the, the home team with some enthusiasm. And the other team, I just kind of do it normal, you know. Um, I'm involved in a little bit of the entertainment stuff that might happen once in a while. They'll call on me to ad lib something that's going on in the field or, or whatever, you know. Um, but um, uh, I used to play the music, too. Hmm. I did both jobs. I didn't know a, that. For a long time. Yeah, I did both uh, the PA announcing and played the music for, man, maybe about 15 years. And that was, you talk about uh, one-arm Because you can't, one you can't take your eyes hanger. off the field. You've got to know the counts, and you've got to know... Well, not the no, not the counts necessarily. Just, just, just the outs. Okay. You know, just when somebody makes an out, I, I would announce. But in between innings, I'd be playing the music. I'd be playing walk-up music for the players. I'd hit the, I, you know, click on the computer, the walk-up music for the player, and I announce over the music. It was easy to do. It was like you know being a DJ at the station. <laughs> it wasn't that hard. Um, but as time went on, they they wanted to separate those jobs, and uh, now we have individual people doing everything. Well, you, you brought up uh, Marty. Herndon? Hendon, Hendon. He was the first of his kind in regards to every day there was something going on and there was a different promotion. Yeah. Um, literally, for people who don't know that, he really was one of the first who didn't have five promotions a year. He had 42, 52 yeah. promotions every year. Yeah, he was really good at that. I'm so glad. I'm so glad, that's right. Yeah, and he was really good at uh, coming up with ideas for trinkets that we'd give away at the ballpark and uh, you know, he's probably in the foreground of that stuff happening. You know, now bobbleheads are through the roof in terms of popularity, and uh, that's what that's evolved into. And and even, you know, Fred Bird, that was a, a Marty Hendon thing to bring a mascot in. You know, mascots weren't everywhere back then like they are now. Oh, I mean, not for baseball. No. Yeah. Uh-uh. Uh-huh. And, uh, even Fred, San, and Fred yeah, the Bird, San Diego Chicken. Yeah. And like, Philly Fanatic, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, and Fred Bird, I, I believe— was kind of modeled after Marty, the way Marty, <laughs> you know, cause he was built like Fred Bird. I've never thought of that before. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's kind of funny. It's Marty living his own life. He's still living right now through the Fred Bird. So yeah. if I'm you, man, um, oh, you, man, where'd it come from? Corcoran started calling me you, man, when, I came, okay. when he came to town. Yeah. He, he, uh, you like it? Uh, yeah. Absolutely. It's a cool moniker. It's, it, it, it's right. I mean, on. it was right man. on. Yeah, yeah, it's right on the money. I mean, Hewlett, you, you man, and uh, and it just happened organically too. It wasn't forced or anything, you know. And since then, I've heard all kinds of, you know, J mans and Z mans and all kinds of different mans. But they and, all follow <laughs> after the U man. I don't know. I don't know. But uh, at least here in St. Louis, if you have a letter and then uh, and then man after it. You might have been influenced a little bit by that. I don't know. I don't know. I don't so want to put too too much on it. If I'm you, I've earned retirement. I take my accolades. I take my rocking chair. But I probably keep the PA job just because I'm a Cardinal fan and I'm going to be watching it anyway. Yeah. You thinking about hanging it up anytime soon? You know, I don't know. I 
God, of all the questions I get when I'm out and about, that is the number one question by far. Mm. And thank goodness they don't, uh, they don't ask that, like, will you please retire and get the hell off the radio so somebody <laughs> else can get a chance? They don't say it like that. Uh, thank goodness they say it like, they just want to know. You know, they say, wow, you've been around. My, you, you've been a part of my life for so long. You know, I've been a part of some of these people's lives for 45 and a half years. And uh, I would just want to sleep in, John. Just... <laughs> That's right. That's the big one. That's the big one. There are some nights, like Sunday nights, I'm like, oh, man, I don't really have to do this anymore. Get up at 6 a.m., but I'm going to do it. And, uh, and I go ahead and do it. And it's just, uh, you know, the, the term golden handcuffs, you know, everybody knows what that means, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, you have a job. You, uh, you, you'd like to maybe have a bunch of a lot of free time to to travel and play golf every day and not get up out of bed in the morning and do whatever you want but at the same time the job is is still having has an alluring aspect to it that uh, that draws you in you know and i've never been off the radio since i've been you know 17 years old i don't know that i can i don't know if i can live my life not being on the radio i don't know that you know i've never tried it i don't know if the job's killing me or keeping me alive sometimes you know <laughs> it's really uh it's really a, a dichotomy that I deal with on a, on a regular basis. But you're right, probably in an ideal world, when I am definitely too old to do radio, still like maybe still have that, that PA job because it's just a per- perfect part-time summer job for an old retired guy, you know, that could still do it. You know, you still got to be able to do it. And it's, I mean, it's St. Louis. It's Cardinal baseball. It's how the stadium smells when you walk in at 645. I mean, all these are corny things. That's really, I think, the last time we saw each other was when I was working the press box. And it's just just different. And it doesn't go away, which I think is maybe the key. Because, like, I'm a big Missouri Tiger fan, right? You couldn't give me a basketball ticket right now. It's just, it, it, it's Me gone too. away. Me I know. too, it's gone away, you're right. But the Cardinals have just continued to be yeah. the Cardinals. Well, when they and hired you, me. my friend, have been a part of that freaking thing for 30 plus years. Yeah, this will be my 38th season coming up. Uh, then they told me, when they hired me, they said, we want you to be able to come every day because because we want the same ballpark experience for fans every day. It's Ernie Hayes on the organ, it's John Hewitt on the PA, it's uh, you know whatever else they try to do on a regular basis. And you're, that you become part of the uh, ambiance and the environment down there. And I took that seriously to the point where even when my daughters have gotten married, I got three daughters, two of them are married, they knew, got to work around the Cardinal schedule, <laughs> you know? And, and everything in my life in the summertime, well, between, you know, <laughs> April and, and September, actually April through October, because the Cardinals get in the playoffs a lot. What happens if there was a rain delay or it's rescheduled and it fell on the wedding day? So they did. They wouldn't. D- they wouldn't do it. Would. The, Card- the Cardinals had to be out of town. <laughs> yes. And so, yeah, my my schedule from April to through October. I always keep it safe through October. Now you got to go through the first week of November with. The well, I'm glad we knocked this out then before the season started. Yeah, yeah. I, I got to uh, you know nothing. Nothing can happen on on Cardinal Day games. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, and I've missed a couple games over 38 years. Just two games, two or three. And I'd say three. Pretty. Shit, I can't remember anymore. Uh, three games, I think, over that period of time I've missed. It was but, JC's fault. No. <laughs> yeah. Back then, I, uh, there was a period of time I could blame stuff on JC, but it uh, wasn't, wasn't a long period of time. But then again, you know, Corcoran and I worked again together. Right. People forget uh, uh, on K-Hits, because Casey uh, and K-Hits are owned by Amos Communications, same, same company. And when Bob and Tom, they brought Bob and Tom in to do the morning show out of Indianapolis, syndicated show, I was doing local cut-ins for a long time, and they decided, well, they're kind of wasting me there. If we bring Corcoran back and put him on K-Hits in the morning, would you want to go down there and do that show with him and then come back and do your afternoon show on k from 10 to, to 2? And I said, yeah, I'll do that, sure. And uh, we had a fun eight years at K-Hits, too. You know, it was, We did a lot of traveling you together. You can go home. Yeah, he did kind of go home. He didn't, you know, he didn't come back to Casey. But uh, he did come back to Emma's Communications, and he did come back to uh, me, and and uh, uh, that was that was a fun time, you know. Yeah, I, I look back with him uh, with so, so so much fondness, and I give him so much credit all the time. I tell him all the time how great he is and how funny he is, and how. Uh, you and know. he hates to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think he needs to hear it because but you, you know, know he's he, had he's he, had a rough go with. He the, would tell you you were great. Uh, you've 
He's worked with other people. He, Half an hour ago, you called yourself a second banana. I understand how that works. But, man, good second bananas are not second bananas. They, they, they are one B's. They are a part of why that whole thing. Second bananas are the guys that chuckle in the background mm. and, and bring in the guests. That's not what you did. No, you're, you're no. cutting your and you're not cutting yourself short. You're cut, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, but well, you know we're documenting it. St. Louis. People are going to hear this 20 years from now. Get, brag on yourself for 30 seconds. What do you? What do you? <laughs> what are you most happy that you accomplished? Um, oh, being a father. Good. Um, I guess um, being consistent. You know, I'm proud of just uh, my 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 work ethic. You know, and that's not that's not that big of a thing because a lot of people have work ethic, um, but it does kind of show people who who you are. You know, he's steady; you can trust him, and uh, he's going to try to do the right thing. And in life, that doesn't happen a lot. In radio. That never happens. <laughs> Nobody's ever consistent. Well, there's that too. There's that element too. Because radio, yo, you're right. There's so, so many, so inconsistent for people to build careers in radio. It's been very difficult for so many people. And and that I, I'm not that that's not lost on me. And I realize that. And I I've, I've worked with a lot of different people along the way, who have had various degrees of success, both at Casey and 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 away from Casey. And and when I think about it. Almost all those people who left Casey um, didn't do near as well as they did when they were on Casey. So that speaks loudly about that radio station and that format and and, and how it's uh, important to our community. You and know? your grandfather from Lebanon taught you that work ethic. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was lucky to be uh, even though we live, we grew up in the in a in a rough environment <clears throat> down there in the city. We had solid parents and grandparents, my brother and I, and um, <clears throat> that made that made all the difference in the world, most likely. All right, you men, let's wrap this up. You are a golfer. I heard you say you're a golfer. Oh yeah, golfer, pickleball player. I didn't know you were a golfer. Here's how I've wrapped up previous episodes. Give me your favorite I sink that putt story. My favorite I sink that putt story. Oh, my gosh. Uh, <laughs> God, I don't really. I don't know. There was, uh, you know, once once cell phones started coming out around, uh, around uh, golf courses, you know, you could start recording things. And there's one time I was being recorded by a friend at a golf course course and i'm putting and i sink a, a nice big long putt mm -hmm. and i turn around and i do the phil mickelson you know <laughs> two inches off the ground I, I just sunk the winning putt to win the masters uh that's a funny one that i have that i that i cherish but um i don't know i don't make too many good putts i'm not a good putter <laughs> <laughs> i struggle with the game i used to be i had my handicap down to about 12 for a while but that's legit. Yeah, yeah. Get it you, legit. Enough, you, you can scramble with people on, yeah. with a twelve. Yeah, yeah. And uh, no hole, hole, no hole in ones. <laughs> yeah, I got one hole in one. Oh, I, I, I oh my god, tracked everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Screw the putt story. Tell me the hole in one. Yeah, story. it was the sixteenth hole at Coil Creek, which I understand they're going to close, aren't they? I did see that. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, and so I was playing by myself on the first nine. Oh, yeah, on okay. the first nine, somebody has to witness this, right? And so I get, I get, uh, said, "Oh, do I want to keep going? I don't know." I, my rule was, if I shot forty under forty-five, I would keep going and, and try and to shoot nine. in the eighties. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and and so I, I, I sunk the putt on, on on nine to par it, and so I got forty-four, and I thought, "Well, I'll keep going, I guess." So I played ten, I played eleven, I caught up to got. There was three guys ahead of me on twelve, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> This is going to take forever. Do I? What do I do? I'll try to play through them. So they were going to wave me through, and I ended up playing with them. Thank goodness I did, or else I'd have been by myself, and nobody would have nobody would have witnessed it. All right. You know. So these guys were with me. They were there, witnessed it, and signed the scorecard, and and uh, so know, bought them uh, drinks afterwards. How many, how many yards? It was 140 yards. Was I hit a club? A eight iron. Nice. And it hit a foot in front of the hole and rolled right into the hole. 
And uh, you couldn't see it real good because the way the sun was hitting the green, you know. Mm-hmm. And I thought, boy, that's, that's awfully damn close. <laughs> and I walk when I play golf. I still carry my bag. And so I was walking. They were in carts, and they drove up ahead. And one thing that pissed me off, the guy put, took my ball out of the hole instead of letting me take it out of the hole. <laughs> Come on, dude. You don't do that. So. You got hole-in-one etiquette. And the hole yeah, you got to have hole-in-one etiquette. You don't touch the other person's ball. Well, that's with me with golf. You never touch the other person's ball. I never touch the other person's ball, period, ever. Unless they say, all right, give me, it's a, you know. But right. I don't never, and I don't want anybody touching my ball either. But you got a I'm free a run on that. after, right? I don't know if I did. I got my name in the paper. I, I know that, but that was, that was <laughs> it. I don't know if I got a free, free round. They bought me drinks. I think it's supposed to be the other way around. But, yeah. I enjoyed this. Thanks for taking yeah, the time. Yeah, same here. Thank you for having Knuckle me, David. Me. So, another one for the books. Thanks for sharing, subscribing. We'll meet again as we do Thursday. Thanks for your time this time. Till next time, so long.